This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. From nj.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights, with your hosts, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders, Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Rutgers Rant. Politi here, Fonseca Lanny, both here as well. Rutgers 36, Temple 7, a game that looked like it wasn't going to go well for a moment, for a minute, for a hot minute. Yeah, you know, not, not exactly a reason to panic, but certainly what you'd like to see from the Scarlet Knights, what they didn't do last year when Temple cut the score to 13-7, you really saw a response from Rutgers. Resolve both offensively and defensively, came out, scored the most points as a stat that you had, Fonsec. Most points in a fourth quarter in 40 years, is that right? I'll give credit to the Rutgers communication staff who found that. My stat you didn't look it- that up yourself? I'm sorry, I thought you were digging through the, the archives yourself. I, I you joke. I do do that sometimes, but this was uh, yeah. they're very they're very good. They do a great job, and they got this one, which is pretty impressive. I, I don't know how it's a bit of a hollow stat, you know. It's you know it's very you know one quarter whatever, but it is impressive. To your point about the resilience, I think everyone in the stadium that was still in the stadium sees that Temple touchdown, and they start to like you said, they start to get worried because it just felt like a classic Rutgers game of you're controlling the entire first half hour, but. Your defense is doing a great job of keeping Temple out of the end zone, but your offense can't build that lead. Temple cuts it in half, but people didn't really have time to panic because immediately Kyle Menungai turns into the greatest wrecking ball of all time, just destroying the Northwestern defensive line for six straight plays. Bam, 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 hits the end zone. And it seemed like from there, Temple just kind of of crumbled. EJ Warner throws two picks and the game was really over. So as quick of a punch, I think you put it this way, Temple threw a punch, Rutgers... Through a counterpunch and the game was pretty much over from there. Yeah. And, and, and Pat, I was thinking about this and just what what these these two wins mean in the bigger, in the broader, the 30, the view from 30,000 feet. I feel much differently about 2 0 this year than I did last year. Like 2 0 last year, <laughs> you watch those first two games and you're like, well, that ain't going to work in the Big Ten. Like I don't know. Like I don't know that this team is going to have this. It's going to have a better record. I think it's going to have a better record. I predicted beforehand. I feel good about that prediction now. But at least you saw, like you see, all right, uh, that this this might work in the Big Ten. You know, one hundred percent. It worked for Minnesota. It worked for Shiraka last year. Yeah. They, they're, they they're a replica of Minnesota last year. I I, I can't say it enough. Uh, what this whole team has become: a great defense and a really good running game. And uh, a quarterback that can just make enough plays and not turn the ball over is is exactly what Minnesota was last year, and I think they went nine and four. Uh, not getting nine and four yet, but, but yeah, 
No, but no, to but your you're point. right. You're, to your point, last year, just think they should have lost to Boston College last year. Absolutely. That that stunning that drive was incredible. And look what's become of Boston College. That's a, a lost program. And they should have lost to Temple last year if it wasn't yep. for the Shaquan Loyal interception. So exactly. you're right. This 2-0 and is definitely different. They've been able to dominate two teams that they should have dominated, and they've just looked superior in both games. All right, let's dive into what specifically is different. And I think the first thing that sticks out for me in this game, Jaquay Jackson. You know, they didn't have that guy a year ago, you know, and I, it's funny, you're talking to him after the game and just like, all right, well, take me through, take me through that play. Is that an instance of you just running as fast as you can? The 61 yard catch. And yeah, absolutely. I just know if I run as fast as I can and get open that Rutgers has a quarterback and Gavin Wimsett now who can find him. And that that's just stretching the field. We, we haven't seen, we didn't see that against Northwestern. Jackson was hurt in camp, comes out in this game. Now you're starting to see, all right, if, if they get that kind of guy who can get out there and stretch the, stretch the defense, I think that's really important. It was, and it was interesting in this, like reading Greg Schiano's, you know, what, what he says after games, the fact he came back to, at the end of his press conference, came back to, to reference him again, to make sure that point get driven home. Yeah, and we've kind of been saying throughout the offseason that the Rutgers needs Jaquay Jackson to be that guy, that number one receiver they haven't had since Bo Melton, maybe you know since Leonte Carew, a guy you can depend on. And exactly, to your point, it looked like Gavin just kind of lofted that ball up and Jaquay Jackson it landed right in his hands. Uh, he, he And not only that play, that was the big play, obviously, but he had a couple of really big ones. Mm-hmm. He had an 18-yard catch to start that go-ahead drive where Kyle Manungai went for six straight plays. Yeah, he, he started that drive. Uh, he had one a diving catch on a great ball to get a first down, I believe, early in the first quarter when Rutgers' offense was really rolling. So yeah, it's good to to have that weapon, to have a guy kind of, you know, like you said, a bit of a slow first game. He got hit pretty hard down the middle in what he called his welcome to the Big Ten hit. Uh, but he bounced back in this game. And not only is it good to have Gavin Wimsett show some progress, which I think he has. It's good to know he has a guy that helps him make that progress, a guy he can really depend on. And uh, given the fact that Rutgers did not complete a pass to a tight end all game, that's usually a a quarterback security blanket. Gavin doesn't really seem to have that. Uh, He he puts even more emphasis on the wide receivers to have to step up. And Jackson, in this game, showed he can can be that number one guy. I was surprised by that. The tight end thing is is, is a good point. I uh, I thought I thought this was the kind of game that you might see a Johnny Langan kind of six catch thing. We haven't seen that at all. It's interesting. What we did see though, another Kyle Manongai game uh, that just kind of like twenty. I think it was twenty eight carries. Felt like a Ray Rice esque game where he just started to get going and and, and the way he was running in the fourth quarter. Pat, do, have they have we been overthinking this with the running backs? Have they just got their guy and that's their guy? Every time I think of Kyle Manungai, I always think he's just overlooked. It's yeah. the only thing that comes to mind. Everyone overlooks Kyle Manunga. They've been doing it since he was in high school. I'm guilty of it myself, <laughs> right? Like yeah. even when I was on the high school beat, like he w- he played second fiddle to Jalen Berger at Don Bosco Prep. And now at Rutgers, he's in this crowded backfield where it's always going to be somebody, some other guy, but it's always Kyle Manunga that rescues this team. And I think we are a little guilty of putting some extra hype on other players when we forget that Kyle Manunga has just been this steady, steady performer. Yeah. B- bottom line. We, we waited. We're with Sam Brown ready. Is Sam Brown ready? When is he going to play? Is he going to play? Yeah. All right. Yeah. He did play. Milky looked good too. He did play late in that game. If fans had left, they might've missed it, but you're like, Oh, that's right. That they've got. So they've got three really good running backs. Cause Jay Sean Benjamin broke off a nice run in that game as well. 
good problem to have. You tried to get Pat, you tried to get Chiana going. If this, if this is a tough thing, he's like, no, it's not a tough thing. Um, it's an inter- interesting question. There's press conference today. Another good question of the press conference today, just about, uh, was I thought it was a telling answer about the defense, defensive line. Yeah. How it's it asked Greg Shannon, how do us, how, how's he assessed how that, that unit's playing? And he didn't seem particularly happy. I mean, certainly didn't rip him, but he's like, no, that could be, we could play a lot better on defensive line. I think that's, for a team that's only given up two touchdowns, one one came in the last 19 seconds of the game. The other one came on fourth down after the defense had been on the field for for quite a bit. I think it's pretty telling that he that he's expe- he expects a higher level from that defense. Yeah, and it's a great sign because they've really been the the backbone of of this team's strong start. Um, in fairness, they haven't played any explosive offenses yet, and mm-hmm. Virginia Tech is probably not going to be that either, given how bad their offensive line is, how jumbled their quarterback situation is, the fact that their wide receivers are falling like flies, and their best guy just, uh, you know, had surgery on his ankle. So, uh, but so I can see why Greg might want to see more dominance. Maybe he wants to see zero points. I think Aaron Lewis said after the first game that their standard is shutting out every opponent, and I think they have the potential to be that good. Um, so it if this is not Rutgers defense at its highest gear. I think that's a great sign and kind of shows that maybe Rutgers can make a bowl game this year. Maybe they do have that extra gear. Uh, maybe this strong start to the season is a sign of maybe us underestimating them in the preseason. Right. Right. And, and if the, if he's not getting enough from the defensive line and no one asked him, but I got to feel like he's getting, he's got to feel good about what he's getting from the secondary. It seems like every game, there's a huge play, you know, a couple of more in this game. We didn't even include a a, a play by Max Melton, who, you know, it's, it's just been extraordinary. I mean, Pat, that 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 back that backside is one. It's it's the it's DBU's best in a yeah. decade. Yeah, it really is. I loved his quote about Flip Dixon. <laughs> Shiano goes after the. I mean, Michael Flip Dixon had just a monster game against Temple. You think about that goal line stand, the plays he made. And then Shiano after the game, I think his quote was something along the lines is he's a grown man out there. Like when he hits you, he hits you. And uh, right, I, I, right. I'm i like, yeah, that's that'll that'll hold up. That'll hold up. Michael Flip Dixon has been just a huge addition to the secondary, a, a tremendous player. Shaquan Loyal has been terrific. The safeties have been great. Longer BMS, two picks. And you thought this would if the defense had any question marks coming into the season, it was in the secondary where they lost. Avery Young and Christian Izian, mm-hmm. who's going to replace these guys through two games. I mean, they're really living up to uh, the hype. To, to go on that, I mean, the, they had a big challenge this week with EJ Warner, who's a guy who I think he's the second fastest guy to pass the ball after the snap, 2.2 seconds. Uh, and they lived up to it by deflecting 13 of his passes. Uh, yeah. The defensive line had some of that. Deion Jennings had a huge game there, Wesley Bailey. But it seems like everybody in the backfield, Michael Flip Dixon had a great one too. Um, so th- they had a big challenge this week and they lived up to it. So that's a that's also another uh, encouraging sign. 13 pass breakups. That's we got to get some yeah. advanced statistics on that because that seems like an unholy number. That is wild. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And it just, again, it's you know, Warner's not the tallest quarterback in the world. So that contributes to it a lot, but just, it's just getting into the passing lanes and knocking passes down. And that it's a, a good sign. All right. A lot of good signs. Uh, we're going to do true and false here, but first, before we do, we're going to take a quick break. And these are, if you're listening to the podcast, these are new commercials, by the way, I went to a recording studio guys. I went to a recording studio that once recorded stuff from Beyonce to re- record these so it's me bay you know all the good all the true pioneers and and legends of of recording you that's know, as big as it gets that's as big as it gets you're not buying this sorry that's fair okay all right take a quick break we'll be back for, with true and false in a minute 
Experience the Heldred's Hotel, a luxury hotel that's perfect for both the business and leisure traveler. Ideally located within minutes of Rutgers University, the Heldrich is convenient to all the action and activities at SHI Stadium, Jersey Mike's Arena, and the Rutgers University campus. The moment you walk through the doors of the Heldrich Hotel and Conference Center, you know you're someplace different. A place with an independent spirit and a boutique vibe. A place where you can immerse yourself in your meeting or event as easily as you can the local culture. Located in the heart of the city, the Heldrich lets you experience all that New Brunswick has to offer. Whether you're coming to New Brunswick for a fun weekend with friends, in town for a Scarlet Knights game, or attending a business meeting, book your accommodations today at theheldrich.com. All right, let's do some true or false. i got a bunch of topics here. We've got a lot of talk about uh, on the team and in the Big Ten, and, and of course, some fan stuff as well. So let's hit it. True or false? Tyler Needham's injury is a major problem. Right guard went down in that game. Pat, true or false? True. Right tackle. Right tackle. I'm sorry. Right tackle. Big injury. Big injury. Brian, true or false? True. True. Absolutely true. Yeah. And it's not just because I watched the Giants' right side of their offensive line, which is a disaster last night. It is. It's a big problem. True or false? The lack of a pass rush is a major problem. Pat, are you worried about the lack of a pass rush right now? No. They're, They're doing a great job getting in the passing lanes, applying pressure. I think it's been really good to this point. False. Brian, you agree? False. I think they had five sacks the first game against Northwestern, and there wasn't really much time to sack EJ Warner yesterday, but they hit him a lot. Uh, so I'll say false. False. Okay. I agree too. False. Yeah. I think that's not on the list yet. How about long snapping? Long snapping is a major problem. <laughs> I'm looking for major problems. We're trying to get some conversation here, people. Pat, are we worried about snapping? Jay Patel just Tell's- got the Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week connected on a 51 yard field goal. I know there was a bad snap on that field goal, but no, false. false. Not a concern. Brian, false? I'll go, I'll go false for now, but like Pat said, Jay made that field goal in spite of a pretty rough snap. Flynn yeah. Applebee did a great job with the hold. Uh, so for now, I'll say false, but I can definitely see at some point in the near future, a bad snap causing a bad play and Greg Shiano's head exploding because of it. When you're using two different long snappers, I mean, when's the last time you've seen that? They're using a short ah. long snapper and a long, long snapper. That's a good point. Yeah, that's, that's really short, long snapping. Yeah, hold holding is not a problem. It's doing a great job. Special teams overall is not. I mean, you if every kickoff sails through the end zone. I mean, a lot of a lot of good things happen on special teams for this team. I don't have they had. When was the last time they must have had a special teams player of the year a couple of seasons ago? Right, in the Big Ten. I don't think any of them were ever special teams player of the week themselves. Adam Korsak was co special teams player of the week twice in 2021, and Aaron okay. Crookshank was. I believe also a co, just a co for Krushak. Really, wow! I'm fairly certain, but I do know that Adam Korsak's both of his were co. And when he had that epic game against Iowa, he wasn't even named the Big Ten Special Teams Player of the Week at all. So uh, finally, the Big Ten office has made amends to Rutgers and given them their just desserts. They're they're due uh, with Jay Patel getting the award. That's, that's that's good stuff. I love Jay Patel's on Twitter trying to sell jerseys. Good for you, Jay. I love it. All right. True or false? Kyle Manangai should be the featured back of this offense until proven otherwise. Pat, you going to give the workhorse 30 carries against Virginia Tech? Like you said, I tried to bait Shiano by asking him if it was yep, a, a base, curse or blessing, him. and he just, just epic fail on, yep. uh, on my part. But true, Kyle Manangai yeah. really deserves it. Yep. He's earned it. Feeding, you're feeding the man, Brian. Are you are you still thinking Sam Brown needs to get out there more? 
So if Sam Brown is still working his way back against Virginia Tech, I will say, true, Kyle Monogai still should be the feature back. If Sam Brown is 100%, I say you let him loose and make him the feature back. Uh, so I guess my answer is it depends on how Sam Brown is doing. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I think this might be the week because we just know Sam again. And he, that's great. Monogai is playing. Sam Brown is a special talent. So I'm going to agree with you, Brian, on that one. I'll say false. Uh, all right. True or false? Eight carries is not enough for Gavin Wimsett. We've seen him run the ball. He runs the ball really well. Pat, what do you think about that? Eight carries is enough. False. You think it's enough? False. Brian? Uh, I, I agree with Pat. I thought one weird play calling from Schrocker was after, I believe it was Max Melton's interception, right after Rutgers uh, scored the Manungai touchdown, they get the ball in the red zone. And instead of handing it off to a running back, they run two straight runs for Wimsett and end up getting stuffed and kicking a field goal. Mm -hmm. I thought that was strange. I think there's a place for Gavin Wimsett runs. I think he showed that when he had that big run down the middle on a 17-yarder on a keeper. I just think you have to be selective with that, and he's not a guy that you can just say, here, pick up five yards. It has to be kind of – and another thing about Gavin running while we're on the topic, he doesn't slide. He dives head first, and (laughs) I I asked him about it. He said it's on purpose. Right. Pretty sure that's not what you're supposed to do, and I'm pretty sure know. you could probably Daniel Jones. <laughs> Daniel Jones did the same thing last night too, so I don't know. I mean, with the Giants, I, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just the way it is now. Maybe there's an um, analytical edge here that I'm not aware of, but I saw I, it and I was yeah, concerned yeah. for him. I do love the fact, and it, this is getting in the weeds a bit, but he he hands the ball off really a couple of times. He gave really late handoff to Manungai. Uh, which is just a great read to to spring him on that on that big drive. If, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's when it was when I when I noticed it the first time. I'm like, he is waiting to to give the ball on some of those reads and doing a great job running the offense that way. So, uh, but but I mean, when he broke off for that 17 yard run, this is what maybe put this on the list. And true or false, it's just like holy that kid that he does have he does have another gear. I mean, he was got he hit that hole pretty fast. So, I'm gonna say not enough carries. True. All right. True or false. The Mel Tucker saga at Michigan State is good news for Rutgers. I mean, it's not good. It's not good news for society. Is it good news for Rutgers, Pat? True or false? Anytime a program goes into disarray that Rutgers is going to play, it's good news. But you're right. It's terrible for society. It's an <laughs> ugly story. Ugly. Ugly. Brian, true or false? Mel Tucker is a disgusting human being. Just to start off, I agree with Pat. I know some people are saying that Mel Tucker is a bad coach, so him no longer being their Michigan State actually helps them. I think the fact that a team is going to have their head coach and is going to be in the middle of a national scandal, as we saw with mm-hmm. Northwestern, is not very conducive to good football. So I will say Mel Tucker not being around or whatever's happening in Michigan State is good for Rutgers. So true, okay. I think. What about Coach Prime? We get Coach Prime in East Lansing. Does that change your mind? I love Coach Prime so much. I, I know he's very – they're not good. Michigan State. If Michigan State makes a better hire, this doesn't change your mind if he gets fired. Well, I don't know if you watch uh, Mr. Paul Feinbaum down in SEC country, but he's talking about replacing Nick Saban with Deion Sanders. <laughs> wow, so that I think he's. <laughs> I think the ship has sailed in East Lansing for Deion. He's already Sanders. gone. He's already Coach- too good. It's gonna be yeah. Okay, you already hammered it, Brian. But the idea that you could sexually harass the sexual harassment expert at a university that had the biggest sexual assault scandal in college sports history is, I mean, it is sort of mind blowing. It really is like, that is just, that's when that story moved, they moved late last I was up writing my, my Rutgers comma, like one three in the morning when I saw that story, and I was just like, he is toast. It's unbelievable. So yikes. All right. Uh, two more. We got here. True or false. The empty stadium in the second half was understandable. After all, 
it had rained hard only six short hours earlier. True or false? How do we feel about the crowd? True or false? Totally understandable. I better get up to let leave in a 13 and seven game, right? At oh, Steve oh. oh, come on. Come on. No, this was coming. False. The false. student section deserves props for what they did in that game, mm-hmm. but there were, it was a, it was a weak crowd. I thought, uh, Brian, you blame the crowd or, or you just going to leave me on that island, which is fine. Well, I agree with Pat that the student section emptying out after halftime is an issue. I know it's a late night game and everyone wants to get to Queens, but when the game is 13-7, even if it's kind of a snoozer, you got to stick around to see the end of it, right? And then, you know, I know it rained. I know the seats were probably wet. The upper deck was a bit light. Yeah, I've got, I've noticed, I've got no problem with the student section. I will say that it's it's telling. This is the, so two press conferences in a row. And again, reading part of my job here as a Shianoologist is reading what the coach says and the fact he went out of his way to praise the student section on Saturday night and then came back today praising the student section. He's not praising the rest of you is what I'm trying to say. Like, I think, I think there is that sense that, 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 that crowd was, that was soft. And I get it, it rained, but two weeks ago it was too hot. And there's always, there's always something It's hard getting to games it's late it's you know it's just you know there's all everything there's always something so that was my one analysis and we had some we had some uh textures bring it up and we're like what what's the deal um from people so interesting in their defense you were complaining about this in the press box too these games are too damn long god i understand that traveling late night on a saturday can be annoying you're gonna catch traffic in the lots I empathize with fans somewhat. So I, I'm trying I'm trying to I know some people might be annoyed with uh, this segment from us. I'm trying to give people some grace here. If these TV executives could just shorten the games by half an hour and make maybe I don't know 50 million less dollars a year, it would save everybody's time and it would be much appreciated. It is something. I, I thought they were supposed to be sure, like I thought that getting that change in that one rule would make the games would make the games a little shorter, but if it is, it does not show. I guess they added on the back end to pay the uh, to pay the bills for adding Oregon and Washington. I have no idea, but the game is just. You're right; it's just too long, man. Gosh, uh, I did love. Uh, you mentioned the parking lots. I love Mike Teals had a great had a great tweet. He's like, getting out of the scarlet lot after the game is more entertaining sometimes than the game itself. It is an adventure out there. I'll give you that. So that's fair. All right. Do we have to talk about any of these? We we kind of talked about them as we were doing it, right? Any any other topic? You're just go back to Tyler Needham really quick. What are the options there on the right side of the line if he can't go for the rest of the season? Well, Shiano did say today that it was not. He would have told us if it was season ending. Yeah, but he's not playing anytime soon. That's no, but it is not season ending, which is right. the good news, I guess. But Kamar Missouri was his replacement. Mm-hmm. And Shiano was not committal to saying that, you know, Kamara is going to be the guy moving forward. They were going to mm-hmm. evaluate the situation. So, yeah, we'll see if it's Missouri or if it's someone else. Uh, I don't know who would who would be next. The next tackle up. I know Taj White's played on the left side. That that would be my suggestion. Flipping Taj White from right to right tackle. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could flip Holland Pierce because you need him desperately at left tackle. No, absolutely. I, I agree. With you. I think it's either Kamara or uh, Taj. All right. Good job, guys. <laughs> Excellent. True or false. Let's do some questions from our text service. We've got a big text service announcement coming soon. I'm going to tease that. Can't say what it is yet, but stay tuned on the texting service. We're going to have something very cool coming at you. But first, your questions. And we had some good big picture questions. This one is from JP, good friend of the pod, who I'm seeing a lot more than I see my family right now because he's at the Giants and Jets games. I'll see you soon, JP. 
Is it just me or do you get the feeling the schedule is setting up nicely in part on the turmoil of other teams? Northwestern's mess, Iowa and Brian Ferentz not to be able to score. Now Michigan State, add that to Wisconsin appearing to be down. Could the stars be aligning for this team? I'm personally feeling bullish for a defining win where I otherwise didn't two weeks ago. It's interesting. I mean, this has happened in Rutgers history. The stars have aligned a couple of times early in the year for you know, for a good series, obviously 2006, you looked at that after a couple games and you're like, you know what? This team could be eight. No playing Louisville. I don't know that I'm there yet with this schedule because in two weeks we got Michigan at the big house. That's going to kind of uh, put a damper on things, but I don't know. Is it, do you guys agree? Do you guys agree that you're feeling something with the early part of the schedule or it might be a situation where they get to, they get the six wins even before we start worrying about the hard part of the schedule. I do. I do. I think there's a lot of things happening uh, that JP mentioned. Wisconsin lost to Wazoo and didn't look very impressive doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's a road win that probably seemed unlikely in the preseason that looks winnable now. Iowa keeps being Iowa no matter how many clauses they put in Brian Ferentz's contract. They're still going to score 20 points and hold on for dear life to win games. And whenever that happens, you're always going to be in the margin of being able to come back. They almost blew a 17-0 lead to Iowa State. So I think that's certainly a, a Winnable game. And yeah, because Rutgers doesn't do that at all, no. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> it's the most 9-6 game of all time written all over it. And look, the big one The big one I'm pointing to, people are going to think I'm crazy. I've teased this on the last pod, I think. Ohio what? State, you know, they oh barely beat Indiana. Yeah. Struggled like, against barely, Ohio State. They, barely beat Indiana. In their lofty standards, they don't look that great. Uh, Rutgers oh could be, could be, God. could be 5-3 and three or 6-2. Oh. and two. When Ohio State rolls into Shy Stadium, SHI Stadium, by the way, not Shy, SHI. My apologies. It's pronounced SHI. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. Anyway, Rutgers could be six and two when Ohio State comes to Piscataway. Hmm. That place could be juiced up. Rutgers has not had a signature win in the Big Ten of that magnitude. Hasn't really come close, frankly. I don't know. I don't think I'm not calling the upset. If Rutgers is within 21 points on the spread, I would hammer Rutgers. Although I have people destroying me for saying you should hammer Northwestern when they lost by big to UTEP. Yeah. Uh, next time I will tell you my picks after the games happen. That way I will be a hundred percent correct. Like these bozos on my Twitter mentions. Anyway. Wow. And anyway, wow. a lot going on there, Pat, a lot going on there. Yeah. It was like, we didn't even I have mean, this guy mention was... like soccer in there. And he just still, he still went nuts. I just, I just want to, I just want to bring it up that this guy predicted five and seven, two weeks ago. And now through two, now weeks, we got him six beating and two Ohio state. not just six and two, but beating Ohio state. Yeah. That's pretty I, I, they're not, I didn't say they're going to beat Ohio state, Ohio state. I'm just saying it was literally impossible. Yeah, the I first heard. nine times this time, I think I'd give Rutgers as we stand today, a five yeah. to 10% chance, which is monumentally more than they've ever had. I would say probably should be Virginia Tech first. Yeah, I'm not quite there yet. But to your point, JP, and I got a couple of people pointed out. You know, made the point that it it is certainly looking a little different than it did. You know, when Labor Day weekend started. Yeah, agree. Absolutely agree. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah. All right. Some more questions. Let's dive into the offense. We got a bunch, bunch. Oh my god, we got like 53 questions on offense. Uh, a lot of people are just curious what this offense is going to look like. Here's Brian H. from Georgia. Assuming we see the full playbook against Virginia Tech, and I've got to imagine there's more RPI and more shots to TD, uh, t- tight ends, what do you think we're going to see? Also, I miss seeing well-timed deep shots to wide receivers. He's happy about that. I think everyone who likes football likes a well-timed shot to wide receivers. I don't know. Like, I, it's it's funny. Like I've, I, I had a preconceived notion of what it was going to be. It's not that. 
We saw what it was against, you know, Northwestern and the personnel chain, like Ian Strong. I thought, well, here, there's a guy. They've discovered this. This guy's a really good, fresh, true freshman receiver. He didn't catch a pass against Temple. I mean, Pat, uh, Johnny Langan, we brought him to media day. I thought he was going to be a bit. He he didn't. They not thrown to the tight ends. I don't know. Is this just it? Or is there something that we we still haven't seen? Well, you just got to look at what's been consistent. And it's a big picture theme of we're just going to run the ball until they until they can stop it and and make these easy throws, maybe a well-timed shot every now and then when the defense is caught off guard. I think the offense has been pretty predictable. Uh, if, Like I said a million times, if you if you watch Minnesota from last year. Yeah, I think it's, it's still just going to be one of those grinded out type games against Virginia Tech and the offense is going to be ball controlling and playing complimentary football to the defense. All right. We had some questions about concerns about the offense. Robert B. Do you believe Kirk Chirac intentionally closed the playbook until the temple touchdown in the fourth quarter and then reopen it when the game was in jeopardy after temple scored, it seemed like the pace picked up and kickstarted the offense. Is that just the coaching staff being cagey or did they figure something out? I think Greg Shano said it after the game about uh, the coaching staff chasing the game, Brian. It was like an interesting comment just about what happened there in the third quarter where, you know, it seemed like they went to a shell a bit. Do you agree with that analysis or is there something else there? Or maybe this offense is just not that there's still a work in progress. That's part of it as well. Well, I did see Greg say that he told Gavin to kind of be a bit conservative. Don't take many risks coming out of halftime. They have a lead. Mm -hmm. And this has been a theme of the first two games where they kind of build this lead and they seem to kind of be content to run out the clock and not risk anything and kind of just let the game, the seconds tick by. Channel hinted after the Northwestern game as well that they've been kind of holding some things back in the playbook, which you got to hope so because to everyone's point, yeah, if this is it, you know, I just don't know how far I can take them. But yeah, I think I'm not sure if it's by design. I'm not sure if it's the offense just not having enough. I'm not sure what it is, but I would agree with the assessment that the two games after they both lead, there's been a bit of a lull that for whatever reason, I don't think they changed anything on the game winning drive on the, on the Manungai drive because it seemed like they just handed the ball off to Manungai. He ran between mm-hmm. the tackles and they did it again. Maybe the pace was a little bit quicker. It did feel that way when I watched it back, but I don't think there was any revolutionary thing there. They just kind of, I don't know. I think it's too simplistic to say they woke up, but they really just kind of ran it down right. Temple's throats. I right. think what you also saw was that what happened to Rutgers last year at the end of games where the defense imploded because they didn't have enough depth is what happened to oh, Temple. Yeah, yeah. Temple good point. doesn't have the depth to hang around for four quarters, uh, you know, and that's they just fell apart. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great point as well. All right, some uh, more questions. Steve F. from Northern Virginia. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts, analysis on the offensive line's performance. Seems like most of the game was a revamp between tackles. We gained like 2.9 yards per carry. Then in the fourth quarter, you could drive a truck through some of those holes. What was the difference? Do we adjust blocking teams? Personnel change? Do we just wear them down? Great questions. I, I mean, I again, we talked about it last week. <laughs> the bar, bar was on the ground for the offensive line, folks. And I think it has played really well, at least by what the expectations were. I think it's been pretty good. Overall, I mean, again, that's not going to when you bring in a defensive line like Michigan, it's going to be it's going to be tough. But run game, run blocking, especially, Pat, and you wrote, you know, you you, you were the one who we talked about it last week. It looks good. Yeah, I said it passed the eye test, certainly in short yarded situations. So mm-hmm. you saw that against Northwestern when they had to get a couple yards, they got it. And then I was surprised to see the pro football focus grades that against Northwestern, Rutgers had its highest grade in pass protection that it's had in two years. 
Hmm. And then uh, this past week also graded out pretty well in both categories. So I think the offensive line has been pretty good. I wasn't as down on the offensive line as maybe others were that this coming into the, into camp or coming out of camp. I, I kind of saw it as you had some some pieces back and some depth. Rutgers is playing 10 guys up front. That's crazy. Especially when Shiano says, like, I want to stick with five and get the sixth and seventh guy in line. They're they're rotating a lot. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm curious if that's helping uh keep these guys fresh so that in the fourth quarter they're wearing down other teams or whether it's they're still trying to figure out who those sixth, seventh, and eighth guy is in the rotation. Yeah, great point. And I mean, I think Pat Flaherty made a big impact, certainly. It's a guy with his resume. Uh, but Brian, I don't know. It's still for me, it's still the thing that is holding me back. It's still the thing holding me back from saying, all right, this this season can get can this is gonna be really good. Is that is that line play? I gotta see it against a better opponent, I guess. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, the pass pro has been really good. They've only given up one sack in two games. That's a pretty good stat. So they can't really do much better there. I guess they can be more dominant up front, but they were when it mattered in the fourth quarter. But to your point, that's probably true of most things with Rutgers, with Gavin, with the receivers, with the offensive line, with the defense. They did it against Temple and Northwestern. Can they do it against the Michigans, the Ohio States mm-hmm. of the yeah. world? So we'll, I don't know if we'll see it again. I don't think we'll see it against Virginia Tech, uh, maybe offensively, because Virginia Tech's line is supposed to be good. Uh, but I, I just, their offense is brutal. So I don't know. I think we'll have to wait for Michigan to see that. All right. A defense question. It, this is a little too in the I don't know if you guys can be able to answer this. I can't answer it. So maybe you can answer it. This is a little too in the weeds, but what's the deal with the RU D lineman using a four point stance as opposed to the more typical three point you see in the NFL? They look hindered coming off the ball. Uh, our friend Kevin Fine signed it Richard Kent's blazer, which is just a hilarious inside joke that maybe 20 people will get in this on this planet. I was one of them. So thank you. Four point stance versus three point stance, Pat. You got any got any thoughts on this? This guy's got to be a high school football coach or something. I, I mean, this is this is next level insider question right here. Uh, you got it. If we got it, we don't have it. I don't four know. point stance. I I can't I can't uh, can't yeah. answer this one. Right. No. I think he's got to send his question to the super premium level of our tech service <laughs> where we answer actual coaches' questions. So this is not okay. fit for the Rutgers rant. We're gonna have to ask that question in in person. Um, perhaps wearing a blazer. All right. We have some attendance slash other questions from a young fan. The constant and overwhelming scoreboard noises are smothering the organic crowd noise on defense, especially third downs. The crowd is not cheering until the scoreboard stops blurring. Can anyone with a larger audience get through to them to relax on the scoreboard? I mean, I, and I got to tell you, like I we're in the press box. I don't hear it. We don't hear it. But I was, as I was walking down after the game, we're walking down, you know, the side in front of that scoreboard. And I thought to myself, holy cow, that is loud. You know, they're playing as <laughs> playing as Fonseca called it another game show theme. It was really the Saturday Night Live theme that was playing, but Fonseca mis- mistaken it for a game show theme hilariously, which is something else we'll bring up on Friday. But yeah, I mean, it is loud, right? I mean, Brian, you, you know, you want to, you agree? Or am I just... Am I just being an old person again? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts here. I, I agree with a lot of, there's been a lot of fan complaints. If you read the message boards about this, about the horn being very excessive, uh, just 10 seconds too long, going until literally before the opposing team snaps the ball. The guy constantly saying to make some noise. I mean, it's not working, man. If you have to say make some noise before every snap, they're not making noise. Um, mm-hmm. I think part of it is to drown out 
on third downs, especially when the student section likes to say their favorite three word phrase that begins with an F and involves another Big Ten team from yeah. Pennsylvania. Uh, and I think they want to do their best to drown that out for TV. The horn is just ridiculous. I hear it in the press box. I, and it, it's horrible. It's horrible. I don't think it adds anything. And if you let me get onto my soapbox, this is where I'm going to put in the soccer chance. Here we go. This oh, doesn't boy. happen in Europe and in South America where fans oh, create no. the, the energy and the atmosphere themselves with chants and all that stuff. So, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Interrupting. What about the Vuvuzela? Steve, that was 13 years ago in South Africa for one month. Okay, talk to me about Buenos Aires, talk to me about Lisbon, about London, about Manchester, talk to him about, it, about Madrid, Barcelona. Mistakes talk, were made. This was, this was, talk to that me, was a mistake. Talk to me about actual soccer crowds. Um, I think that, that's the one uh, major issue I have with American sports culture, but I digress. I think personally, blaring a horn that you could hear on the other side, side of the state for mm-hmm. 30 seconds is not the solution. And it's interesting, Pat, because I would say for the most part, and we talked about this for, I don't want to sneak, steal your thunder, a cool story that Pat's got coming soon. The the production quality at games has become far more professional than it was, I mean, even five years ago, but certainly 10, 15 years ago when I first started going to those games, it felt closer to a big high school atmosphere than a NFL atmosphere. Now it is far closer to an NFL atmosphere. I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm just telling you, like from a from a consumer standpoint, you are no longer going to, you know, the football game is for a lot of people not the center of attraction, which is interesting. It never had been that way. Now you can go, you go to the you bring your kids over there, get their faces painted, ride a pony, pet a llama. I don't know if there's a llama there or not. But you know what I'm talking about. You go into the game. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Inside scoop, a little article coming out on Little Jovi is what Steve is trying to plug there. Uh, should be out, uh, I think, around the same time as this pod. So, uh, But I wrote in there that... Not so little. He's all grown up, a little he's Jovi. He's all grown up now. He's all grown up now. <laughs> and uh, the the little chunk of that article is that maybe Little Jovi became such a hit because it was so organic. They just yeah. pant- put the camera on this little kid in the crowd and it was such a hit because it's he was cute and it was fun and it was great. Now everything they got a, the drone show and yeah. put on your cell phone camera lights and we have flashing black and red lights and everything's a spectacle. Every minute I don't, is like said, I don't know if that's yeah. good or bad. I don't. It just is. Yeah, that's very interesting. But very professional. Yeah, very mm-hmm. professional. Just it's different. Just one uh, point. I don't know if you guys watched the USC Stanford game this weekend. Uh, <laughs> One no. team got flagged. The home team got flagged because the music kept playing when the opposing team snapped the ball. Huh. I'm just saying, if Rutgers doesn't calm down with that horn, they're going to get penalized. Okay. That'd be something. All right. Here, Anyway, here's a non-game but Rutgers football-related question. Is Kyle Flood the best offensive coordinator in the country now? Sounds like a head coaching job in his future. I mean, I just, this is again, you guys, you guys just know what buttons to push on me. I love you for it, but you have to say what happened here. What, what could have possibly happened? The, the man was in Alabama. They were the best program in the country. Now he's in Texas and they're the best program in the country. Okay. That's, that can't be a coincidence. Can it? This is a fact. This is a fact. Rutgers only championship in the big East came with Kyle flood at the helm. That is a fact. It might've been. For those of us who were there, we might have some other thoughts on how that happened, but absolutely, that is a fact. Yeah, is he calling the plays for Texas? No, he's not calling the plays, right? I would think Sarkeesian is still yeah, he's Mr. still offense. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty obvious. So yeah, hey, I don't know, he might. I, I wouldn't, you know, 
crazier things have happened. There's been enough distance from when how it ended with Kyle Flood that he might be able to point to some things that happened on his resume when he's talking about other jobs. I don't know. I really don't. That's sort of fascinating, though. So other questions, Dave, David Millman from Springfield. What do you guys think accounts for the dramatic decrease in penalties and what now seems like a significantly more disciplined team? Talked about a little bit last week. I think weaker competition. I think it's a small sample size still. Better coaching. Maybe the offense is just a lot of those personnel or you know getting the plays in late stuff. That's not happening. A lot of the false starts are not happening. That might just be that they've, you know, that you have a better offensive coordinator. Could it be that simple? And consistency at quarterback. Remember last year how many – True. You know, we yep. had three different quarterbacks playing and there was no consistency. Yep. I think what Shiraka did was simplify everything and, and bring like a, a, just the level of consistency that ha- has changed things offensively. But I think also winning breeds this as well. Like when things are going well, everything goes well, or when things are going poorly, everything's going poorly. So a little bit of both there for me. Here's one from Mike. I think Rutgers under underutilizes the victory statue in front of the stadium. Interesting. Uh, it is, I think, the second best statue in the Big Ten. And Ron Garuti uh, donated that to uh, to Rutgers. And it is and a really nice uh, a nice thing out there. Good meeting point for people. Yeah, I see people taking photos, but you're right. I don't they don't use it in any meaningful way. Uh, for my first my, my favorite statue that I've noticed, Sparty in East uh, Lansing is pretty pretty imposing when you see it um why don't they use the victory statue more pat hey sounds like a column <laughs> uh, uh i don't know i guess because it's so close to the scarlet walk it mm-hmm. would be my first guess is like everyone the, the other statue has become a part of this long running tradition that it just has its place in Rutgers football lore that right. you can't just change the Scarlet Walk. and But I think, yeah, I agree with you. It, it's an awesome statue, and mm-hmm. it does deserve better play. All right. Those are all the questions I have got. Thank you for, if we missed any, we'll do our best to to reply to you in, in the feed. Thank you for your questions. Fellas, what else do we got? Anything? Soccer back in the winning ways? No, Dylan cool. Harp. We have, this is the latest we've gone on the podcast in about six months. Mentioning the name Dylan Harper, no news there. There is, there is. There was there an update is. this morning from uh, Trudy Johansson, your favorite. Oh no, there wasn't. Yeah. I didn't follow. I this. I forgot to follow Trilly. That's what's wrong. But I, give me the update. I'm so excited. So six hours ago, Trilly Donovan dropped a report on uh, recruiting around the country. This weekend was a busy mm-hmm. time. The gist of it is Dylan Harper is expected to still take a visit to mm-hmm. Auburn soon, perhaps in the next week or two, okay. and he is in the works. Uh, to set an official visit to Rutgers in October, which the date that makes sense is October 14th, that weekend, weekend of homecoming. They play Michigan State. That is what a source uh, told Trilly. That's the most likely date. And Kansas, now that one of their top targets, Jill Bethea, is visiting Miami and might slip out of their grasp, they could have a renewed sense of urgency. That's his quote uh, to attack Dylan Harper as well. And just a reminder, Dylan Harper did go to Rutgers' first game against Northwestern, but that was an unofficial visit, just a day trip with his brother. Uh, he still has an official visit for his senior year to Rutgers if he wants to take it. And it sounds what do you like, do? what do you do? What is the, the kid has been on campus four hundred times? How do you do an official visit for Dylan Harper? He could, he could, he could give you a tour of campus at this point. That's that is really a wonderful question. I would love to know. 
what in the world do they let they let him drive like a campus bus? I mean, what like what what can you do? I mean, I he's, he's been to Rex and his brother paid, played four years in the building. I mean, I, that is fascinating. Maybe it's part of like an official visitors weekend. I, I don't know. For football, football does that. They have the retreat down the shore, right, where they invite all the families and. Yeah. They- maybe it's something like that. Uh, that's that's the only legitimate answer I could give you. That was did Ace Bailey commit on an official visit, Brian? Refresh my memory. Was that just he was in the building and I am ninety-nine percent sure it was an unofficial visit. It was an unofficial visit. So official, unofficial. That's wild. Okay. Well, they can pay his way down here, which is good. They can pay for his turnpike toll to get to Piscataway. Maybe guess maybe that's what it is. I have no idea. It's Ten wild. bucks each way. That's not cheap. Ten see. bucks each way. <laughs> All right, so there's your Dylan Harper update. Field hockey six and zero. Wow. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Big uh, big fight in the Lanny household because my wife is a Princeton field hockey alum. Rutgers beat Princeton two one in overtime, so I had a little little rivalry there. Shoved it in my wife's face. You know, Pat, your wife is not just a Princeton field hockey. She's field, Princeton field hockey royalty. Am I correct? Yeah, four time Ivy League champ. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's just let's just not. Well, just in case she listens, unlike unlike anyone related to me and listens to your work, let's come on. That that is let's let's say let's say what she is here. That's but so yeah. So that's that was a good win. Obviously six and zero. Oh. Are they the best team on the camp? Best team on campus right now? For sure, for sure. I would say so. Volleyball seven and one. Really? Um, that's probably not going to last long when they start Big Ten play here soon. But pretty good non conference slate for them. Um, men's soccer. <laughs> Bit of a rough. Uh, this got buried because it happened during the football game. Bit of a rough trip to LA, and they lost four nothing to UCLA. Not ideal. Women's soccer won though. I'm fairly certain they, they did beat UMass one nothing. This would be interesting. Do, do you know if this, does the Nebraska volleyball team come to Rutgers? Because that'd be fun. Like they had ninety three thousand people at a game out there. It'd be great for them to come to Rutgers and like ask them, "Hey, what do you think about the atmosphere here?" Luckily, they're playing at Jersey Mike's Arena and not not college. Oh, no, they anymore. stopped playing the college gym. Now game. that that would be a that's I, probably I smaller forgot. than the, their rec center over in in Lincoln. So I forgot that they switched uh, that they switched sites. Oh well, that would have been good a couple it, it, years. Uh, a November fifth date at Jersey Mike's Arena, November fifth, a red out, a red out, Rutgers, Nebraska. There you go. There it is. You'll One see game. Steve Politi on press row. That would be something. Maybe I'll go in the crowd. I love. I mean, if you haven't, there's a re, like if you haven't been to a college volleyball game, it is legitimately a lot of fun. Just a, it's just a fun sport. Absolutely, can see why ninety two thousand people in Lincoln, Nebraska, went to it in the stadium to watch. Although I can't imagine it would be easy to see from the upper deck, but I'm sure it was a cool scene. Women's hoops bringing in the big time recruits. I'm reading your notes now, Brian, since you pointed this out to me that you added to our script. What's that all about? So Michaela Blakes, I'm, I'm, I really hope I didn't just botch her name, but she is a five-star guard, top 10 player in the 2024 class, plays at Rutgers Prep right down the road at Somerset. Mm-hmm. She was on a visit. Uh, and a four-star guard, Devin Quigley, I believe her name is, plays at Manchester Township, where Destiny Adams, who transferred into the program this offseason, she also played. Anyway, she was also on a visit, and they had a commit in the 24 class as well, whose name I don't remember. Uh, so big, the, much like uh, Dylan Harper, was a big splash for the men's basketball team at the season opener. Uh, these two prospects were big splashes for Coquise Washington's team this weekend. And Coquise Washington had her chance to conduct the band. I don't know if you guys saw this. She was conducting right. the marching band. Uh, so she's she's always good for a good for a fun time at these events. She always mm-hmm. seems to not take herself very seriously and kind of willfully involve herself in these fun little activities. So that was the latest example. 
Cookies and she then her staff really work and use the football thing to advantage and ask like they're not afraid. And this is a good sign for that program. They're not afraid to, you know, to bring recruits to meet Greg Shiano or to ask Greg Shiano for help and, and the entire staff for help. So clearly it's working. So good for them. All right. So that's all the notes we got. Any final thoughts? Or are we going to sign off? Well, as always, if you haven't been paying attention, we'll do the picks for a podcast later in the week. We'll play the alumni game when, and try again to stump stump. Brian, people are really taking a lot of interest in this. Some, I would say, a uh, uh, not a good interest in it, but some who are really obsessed with the fact that I'm picking the wrong alumni. So if you have alumni suggestions for Virginia Tech, please shoot me an email because, again, the list is not good. So we'll play that on, on Friday and do our picks. Do not text us because then I will see it. Email Politi. And if you have any suggestions for the Zoomer segment of Boomer Mm -hmm. Zoomer, either DM or email Pat and I, and we will uh, decipher what we will tell uh, Steve on Friday. No cap. It's a lot of fun. All right, let's sign off there, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll be back later in the week to pick Virginia Tech. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.